we're feeling anxious, or we're feeling angry, we're feeling hateful, we're feeling insecure, we have to channel that. And the channeling that is to be add more light, to work on our emunah, and to work on to work through the process that our existence is supernatural. This is Chapters, a podcast dedicated to exploring our story. Who am I and what am I meant to be doing in this world? Perhaps through listening, understanding, questioning, we better understand our own story. This Torah episode is sponsored by my mother in honor of the shleishim of my grandfather, Netanel ben Norella. May my grandfather's love and dedication of Torah continue to permeate and bring only simchas and happiness to our entire family. May his holy neshama have an aliyah. This episode is also sponsored in honor of the Ilo Nishmas of Miriam Bela Bas David Hakayim. Today we have a very special guest, Rabbi Gorari, the founder of Bina Center of Jewish Learning, author of All on a Thursday Morning, Personal Growth to Jewish Wisdom, been an educator and rabbi for 35 years, a shleach and a light in the Sydney Jewish community, transforming people's lives through exposing them to Jewish approach to life and relationships. Had the honor of my grade to sit in your classes for many, many years. Um, and I've always admired you. And it's such an honor to have you come all the way from Sydney to be here with us today in New York. Thank you for having me. In a week from now is a very powerful holiday, the holiday of Hanukkah. And it's perhaps one of the most famous holidays. And I don't think it's exclusively because of the time of the year that it falls out upon. And I think it's one of the last Jewish holidays. And it's something that in 2023, it feels very pertinent. It feels very powerful. It feels very different than every other year that we celebrate Hanukkah. Judaism feels very different in the past month. And I think as a Jewish community, this whole holiday is a holiday of light. And light is a thing that we need more than ever right now. So first question I would like to ask you is what makes Hanukkah different from every other Jewish holiday? How do we change the lens to which we relate to a story that perhaps we have revisited countless times from a relevant vantage point in 2023? So once again, thank you so much for having me. Um, just before we talk about how, you know, the lens through which we look into the festival of Hanukkah nowadays, I think something you mentioned before is so important and that's its relevance, particularly right now in the times that we're going through. In that Hanukkah is a festival of light. You know, it's interesting that Light is the first thing that God created when the world was created. And it says there was heaven and earth and the world was in chaos and submerged in water. And the first thing God created as a creation in the world was light. We need light. We need light more than anything. And in fact, one of the reasons that God created light right in the beginning, even though really it's interesting because light is normally something you would create last. Because, you know, if you have a room, for example, that's full of furniture, that's full of objects, um, you only need light when you need to know what's going on and you need to see what there is. But if nothing was really created for, what do you, why do you need light? And the Bhavach Rebbe explains that God created light because light is the mission statement of creation. In other words, when he created light, he created an existence. He's telling us the messages that there will be darkness, there will be chaos, there will be times, ups and downs, there will be challenges. But the mission statement, particularly of a Jew, is to always find the light to reveal that which is hidden, to reveal that which is not obvious, to look deeper beneath the surface and find the light. You know, it's interesting that in Hebrew, we know that every word has a gematria, a numerical value. And um, the word for light in Hebrew is or, 
And the numerical value is Raz, 207, the same word as Raz, which is secret. What is a secret? A secret means something that exists, you just don't know that it's there and you have to find it, right? So that's our job. And I think now we live in a time of particular darkness over the last number of weeks. And our job is to find the light. Our job is to see light. Our job is to find the light, to spread inspiration, not to be defined by darkness, to identify that there is darkness and to realize that there's darkness. But our job is to find the light and to believe that beneath the surface there's a great strength which we're going to emerge from even greater than before. So I think that light is, is so important. If I could just add one more thing, it's interesting that Hanukkah is one of the two rabbinic festivals. Uh, it's Hanukkah and Purim. But we know that everything is hinted in the written Torah, in, in the Torah itself, um, in the passages of you know, the biblical writings. And what's fascinating is that the first time light is, is written in the Torah, it's the 25th word, and which we know Hanukkah happened on the 25th of Kislev. But it goes a lot deeper than that. There's a great Hasidic master called the Svas Emes, and he said the following. He said, you know, one, we know that one of the reasons Hanukkah is called Hanukkah because Hanu Chafei, the Jews rested, they were triumphant, they, they came back to themselves on the 25th. But we know also that the word 25, Chafei, is the word in Hebrew, Ko, right? And what does that word mean? So we find a fascinating thing. It's actually a word that represents a little bit of confusion. Our sages tell us that all the prophets except for Bashar Abeno, all the prophets prophesied with the word ko. Hashem said, ko amar Hashem. This is what God said. Why? Because when Bashar Abeno prophesied, he used the word zeh. Zeh is, means this is what Hashem said, meaning it's a, it's an expression of clarity, of absoluteness, of, you know. Whereas all the other prophets, they prophesied, but it was always a bit hazy. It was in a dream. It was in a riddle. It was a little bit cryptic. So the Svas Emes says that that's what Hanukkah is. Hanukkah gives the power of Hanu Hafei, to see clarity in confusion. And I think we now live not only in a dark world, but a very confused world. And it's really important to have moral clarity, to be clear in our trust in Hashem, to be clear in our focus, what is our focus, what are our values, what is our direction, where are we going. So I think Hanukkah this year couldn't have come in a better time. Just one question about the darkness and the light. Do we have to have darkness? That's something that I'm struggling with, and I think everyone's struggling with. Does it have to be darkness for there to be light? So the answer is yes, and we don't know the reason why, but the answer is yes. In other words, the world was created because in Hasidus we learn that the light that is, emerges from darkness, not only emerges from darkness, but is the transformation of darkness. Right? We know Shlomo HaMelech said that he saw greatness and advantage in the light it comes from darkness. Now that verse can be understood two ways. It can be, he understood the advantage of light over darkness, but Hasidus teaches that he used the expression min which means light that comes from darkness um, always makes, is brighter. And that's how life is. Um, strength that comes from challenge is always stronger than strength that comes without challenge. In other words, really it comes to, to a very, very basic foundation in Hasidic teachings, and that is that we're not created perfect, by design, God created an imperfect world, which also means a world of challenge and sometimes darkness, because we can grow. And growth comes from darkness. It comes from the concept of Yerida Tzarechaliyah, that every descent is for the purpose of becoming stronger and rising uh, above where you were before. And when you can turn challenge into opportunity, darkness into light, confusion into clarity, it's much stronger than it was before. 
Now, could have God could God have done a different system? I'm sure, because he could do anything. So exactly why he chose this path is is not something we can question, but that's what he did. And that's what he told us. That's the whole point of us being created. Now, obviously, we don't look for darkness, right? We have a principle in our prayers every single day that we say to Hashem, do not test me. In other words, don't bring upon me. We, we, we look for light. Our mandate is not to look for darkness. But when it comes our way, we have to strongly believe that it's there for a purpose. It's not random. It's there for a purpose. It's designed that way to be there. And our, our job is to see, well, how can we transform that into a greater light than was there before? Is there a way to like go around it? Like instead of anticipating that things should go dark, is there a way to like just skip to the light? I don't know. That's something that this whole thing that happens, it happens after all this friction. And I was in Israel and there was so much fighting going on. And then all of a sudden we all love each other and care about each other. It's very frustrating. It makes me feel like we have to, all of a sudden I'm saying to Hillel more than I ever said before, like, is there a, is there like a straight path? Is there a way to like go around it? I don't know. Is there a shortcut? So in our mindset, right? It's a very good question. In our, in our mindset, we always have to have the mindset that there is a straight path. And our job is not to look for darkness. Hasidus talks about these two ways of serving Hashem through being a tzaddik and through tshuva. By definition, tshuva means there's something wrong, not wrong necessarily in the sense of aver or transgression, but it means there's something that is distant. There's a distance between me and Hashem, and I've got to fix that, right? So we know that tshuva is higher than a tzaddik, right? A tzaddik can't even reach, as the Gemara says, a tzaddik can't be at the level of a tshuva. So our, our job is to say, no, you know, I want to be a tzaddik. But the fact is that there's always going to be opportunities for tshuva. We shouldn't contribute in bringing it about, and it's not for us to say why it happened, what happened, but the fact is you're right. Unfortunately, we were, before October 7th, before Shemini Atzeris, we were very weak, probably spiritually weak as well, a lot of division and conflict, which is very sad. The hope now, of course, is that we need to remember that we shouldn't go back to it, God forbid. We don't need a tragedy to unite us. It has united us, and we have to pray, and not just pray, but invest effort that we should hang on to it and love each other just like we just like we are now, even when things turn good again, right? And they will turn good, please God. But nevertheless, we it's not for us to say why things happen, why they don't happen, but we do, and the Rambam is very clear about this, when something happens, we are never allowed to say, well, it's just happened and we can work around it. If it's happened, it has to have a purpose. And the purpose is to make us stronger and to bring more light and stronger light than there was before. So I want to go back to the year 163 BCE when the Seleucids, the Hellenist Greeks um, from the dynasty of Alexander the Great, come into and penetrate into Judea at the time. And the story of Hanukkah is a very interesting story. Like we know, there's not so many sources. It's one of the last Jewish holidays. There's not. There's only two real sources, if I'm correct. Um, speaking about what the miracle of Hanukkah was. And the way we celebrate Hanukkah every year is through lighting candles, through bringing light. But if you think about it, there was another victory, and that was a victory of actually winning over the Greeks. So if it's possible, Rabbi, to clarify a little bit, what is the story of Hanukkah? What's the miracle of Hanukkah? What's, what does Hanukkah mean on a spiritual dimension? Sure, sure. So, yes, there are two miracles of Hanukkah. One source you're referring to is the famous... Talmudic passage of the Gemara that talks about my Hanukkah, what is Hanukkah. Interestingly enough, it does not mention the military victory there. It only mentions the miracle of light. But there are two miracles. Um, we talk about the military victory in a prayer called Alanisim, where we talk about the supernatural victory, the, the military victory that the Jewish people had at the time. 
That was one miracle. And the miracle, the second miracle was the, was the one of the menorah. Now, the, the military victory is very important before we get to the miracle of lights. And I think perhaps important, particularly again, going back to the times that we're going through. It reminds us that the survival and the eternity and the existence of the Jewish people is supernatural, right? You know, just a few weeks ago in the Parsha, we read that Hashem told Avraham Avinu, told him to go outside and to look at the stars. And he said, this is how your children are going to be, right? There's a very fascinating Rashi there. And he says, why did God say to Abraham to go outside? Now, a simple reason for that is because you can't see stars when you're indoors, right? You go outside, you can see the stars. But Rashi says something different. That Hashem was asking Abraham Avinu to go out of his expertise in astrology. Uh, so we know that Abraham Avinu was an amazing astrologist. And he was able to see in the stars and in the zodiac and in the constellations and so on that he would not have a child, which ultimately means there wouldn't be the destiny of the Jewish people, right, on a, on a deeper level. And that was true. His expertise were accurate and it was legitimate, which means that he saw in the system of nature, which is also godly driven, of course, but the, the system that God implemented to run the world, he saw that he will not be able to have a child. And God said to him, say, hachutza, go outside, go beyond your astrology, rise above it. You're going to give birth to a child, but not naturally. You're going to give birth to a child, not just a child, you're going to give birth to a nation, ultimately, the Jewish nation, that its its existence does not depend on the natural routine of the world. And I think that is something, again, that has been proven generation after generation. Statistically, we know we shouldn't be here altogether. Empires and, and nations that have tried to destroy us have come and gone, and we're still here. We shouldn't be, naturally speaking. And we are. Why? Because we just... I'm not dependent on nature. I'm reminded of a little story. I don't remember the details, but there's a video of, of something, someone coming to the Rebbe and telling the Rebbe that, you know, the diagnosis or the prognosis, the medical prognosis is that a particular dysfunction or ailment that the person has is, is, is going to remain. It's not going to go away. And the Rebbe just turns to him. It was the most beautiful moment where the Rebbe turns to the person and said, what does a Jew have to do with nature? Like, what do you mean? Like, why defining itself by the natural prognosis? Now, we live in the natural world and we need to, of course, as, a, as we are taught, we have to make what we call a keli, a vessel, a natural vessel. But our essence and our existence and our eternity does not depend on nature. And that's collectively and individually, right? That's part of our abuna, that's part of our bitach and part of our trust in And I think one of the importances of the military victory of Hanukkah is it teaches us and reminds us of exactly that. Because as we say in Al-Anissim, it was a victory of Rabbi Miyad Ma'atim when many fell in the hands of few, the strong fell in the hands of the weak. It was a war. The Jews did what they had to do. They fought a war, as we do. We need to do what we need to do. But it was impossible to win, naturally. And we did it, and we won it. Uh, and we have to realize, you know, I've heard over the last few weeks, I, I mentioned that now, but I mean, it's a general lesson, but... Over the last few weeks, I've talked to many, many people about what is going on. Many people are struggling, and, and that's legitimate. We should be struggling. But, you know, there are people who their they whole, uh, there's fear. Fear sets in, and like, is Israel going to survive? Are we really going to last? And, and that's come up a lot. And I think, if anything, we can learn from the military miracle of Hanukkah is, that's not a question. The question is just is, you know, do we pay a price once once in a while? And how big that price is? And we shouldn't, we have to pray not to pay a price. But... The reality is, that of course, we're going to survive. We are here forever. I'm Israel Chai, as I say, right? we're here forever. We, we're, we're, we're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. The land of Israel is not going anywhere. We're here. And that needs to be a reminder for us, the military victory of Hanukkah. Having said that, 
we actually see in writings of both Hasidus, Jewish law, halacha, that actually that's not the main miracle of Hanukkah. And that's all when the Gemara says, my Hanukkah, what is Hanukkah? The essence of Hanukkah is not that. The essence of Hanukkah is the miracle of the lights. Now, it's not just about a miracle of lights. It's not just about a menorah that lit for eight days when a Chiloi lit for one day. It's a message. It's a message about a spiritual survival, not a physical survival. And we know that's very emphasized in Hanukkah. Strangely enough, although we, we don't miss it completely, but we know that every other Yantif, every other Shabbos and Yantif in Jewish practice and Jewish experience always centers around food. Right? Hanukkah, not so much. I mean, we, we make sure it does, of course. We, you know, we don't, you know, we have latkes and donuts. But halachically, for example, there's no mitzvah to eat a meal on Hanukkah, right? As there is on Purim or on Pesach or on Yantif or on Shabbos, right? But Hanukkah there isn't because Hanukkah there's a tremendous emphasis on our spirituality and our spiritual survival, our spiritual celebration. And that's why we celebrate through lighting the, the, the Hanukkah menorah. And that's why when it comes to Hanukkah, one of the, I mean, every experience in Judaism, of course, is about our spirituality. But there's a particular emphasis about our whole outlook, about our faith, about our perspective on the world, and integration into the world, and so on and so forth, which comes out of Hanukkah so strongly, which is something we have to remind ourselves, meaning we have to live with the Hanukkah story. You know, the previous Rebbe said that when we light the Hanukkah candles, we need to listen to the stories that the Hanukkah lights are telling, right? Yeah. So we have to listen carefully to the stories. The story is our story, the story of modern Hellenization and combating modern Hellenization, how we do that. Is it possible to elaborate what modern Hellenization is? Okay, how long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> so I think modern Hellenization needs to, needs to go back to the original Hellenization, which is the time of the, you know, the Hanukkah story, right? You know, anti-Semitism or persecution in all generations comes in different forms, right? Some just plain physical, the, the, the intent of destroying the Jewish people. Some in spiritual persecution, but in a very different way. For example, that's, you know, the example I always think of is, you know, my, my ancestors lived in Russia. Um, we had to live through the communist regime where the focus was eradicating religion, right? So it wasn't, it was, it was, there's no mitzvahs, there's no bris miller, there's no Torah learning, there's no chadarim, there's no mikvah, and there's no Shabbos, there's no anything, right? And if you do it, you're under, you're in immense danger, you could be killed, you could be shot, and that was it, right? You can exist, but you can't observe Judaism in any way, very clear cut, right? It was very much focused on action, very much focused on, on, on observance, and observance was forbidden. You were allowed to exist, the communists weren't going to kill Jews for being Jews, but they were going to kill Practical observance. What it did was it, it brought out some people, unfortunately, you know, were, were, were taken by that and assimilated into communism. But the people who didn't and stayed strong were able to fight it very strongly because it, it almost, almost evoked a, an adrenaline, a mysterious nefesh that no, you see, I can't give Shabbos. I'm going to keep Shabbos. You can't, I can't learn. I'm going to learn. And, and I'm going to keep Judaism alive and I'm going to practice Judaism openly. And we know many Hasidim, many Jews gave up their lives and risked their lives and were imprisoned for years and so on and so forth. But it's a clear war, and a clear war, as difficult as it is to fight, is easier to fight. The enemy is clear, and the response is clear, if you want to take up the response, if you want to choose the response. Hanukkah was much more subtle. The Greeks, or actually the Syrian Greeks, whatever you call them, were very cultured people, and believed deeply in academia, and in cultural living, right? So therefore, we have a situation in the Hellenist times where, as we know, as Facilis teaches us this a lot, that 
It actually had no real opposition, except for a few mitzvahs that symbolized certain ideals. They actually had no real opposition to Jewish observance. And in fact, they didn't even have opposition to Jewish academia, because they were, in fact, a very academic cultured society. What they were very against, and this is what they fought, which is a subtle enemy and a very strong and confusing enemy, is the removal of godliness from it. They wanted Judaism to be an academia, an academic experience, and a cultural experience. And it's very easy to look at mitzvahs that way, and it's very easy to look at learning that way. But they wanted the emphasis to be not God, but the physical body. So the, the focus was physicality, the focus was self-serving, to be self-absorbed, almost like a, a narcissism of sorts, where our whole focus is building up our physical environment, our physical success, our material pursuit, and our physical strength. You know, the Greeks were famous for their gymnasiums, for example, right? And you can do that. And you can do that together with culture and together with learning. In other words, it was removal of God from the, from the, from the, from the equation. That's a very, very subtle enemy. And that's one that is happening today very strongly. I think perhaps during history that we are suffering from Hellenization today more than ever. We live in a world where material pursuit is extremely strong, where the serving of self and self-centeredness and self-absorption is extremely strong. We, uh, we live in a world where uh, the whole focus is, is, is it's becoming more and more that way, particularly in, in, in I'm just digressed from, you know, you mentioned in your introduction, I'm, I'm very into uh, looking at, at, at modern personal growth and, and, and modern psychology through, through Jewish, Jewish lenses. And there's so many good stuff and so much stuff which is in line with Torah, but then there's a lot of stuff which isn't. Um, there's a lot of work today talking about really about almost becoming very, very self-indulged, right? And what that does is self-indulgence is almost contradictory to a godly focus, right? And that's what's happening today. And, and therefore, physical pursuit, material pursuit is a very big emphasis. Um, we start to, we start to treat mitzvahs sometimes and learning Torah as academia and as cultural symbols. And it's a very big problem. And our, our, our focus, although we might still observe, um, and many people do observe, and particularly Hanukkah. In fact, it's interesting what's happened, unfortunately, to Hanukkah is that Hanukkah is sometimes observed as a cultural symbol, which is exactly what the Hellenists wanted, which is unfortunate. That's not said in judgment. That's just said to because we need to highlight the awareness of that, right? We really, our focus needs to be not physical pursuit. Of course, we live in a physical world and we need to achieve physical success so we can live and, and function and serve God. But a Jew's focus is to be God-centered. Not to be self-centered, but God-centered. And we don't keep mitzvahs as cultural symbols. We keep mitzvahs because they connect us with Hashem. And when you keep mitzvahs because they connect us with God, then they need to be kept in a particular way and need to be kept with a particular intent and a particular focus. We learn Torah, for example. We learn Torah. It is, it is done because it's a godly intellect. And therefore, that needs a certain subservience and a certain surrender to something which is beyond my, my grasp. And I, I have to be prepared to accept things that I don't understand and that are irrational and that don't talk to me and don't, and don't relate to my, to my level of understanding, right? That's a whole different way of serving Hashem. And therefore, that war about chipping away at the godliness of Jewish observance was very, very strong. And in fact, it really contaminated the very essence of what Yiddishkeit was all about. It almost created an illusion where you can remain Jewish and you can remain involved in Jewish culture, but just chip God out of the picture. And that's really what we are living through now as well. That's why 
the Hanukkah miracle is such an important focus and fighting that is such an important focus. Is it okay to elaborate a little more on like, sure. what does it mean to live Judaism God-centric? Because it's a topic, it's a very big fundamental idea in Hasidus. Perhaps it's the core of all of Hasidus to really connect Hashem in a God-centric way. And I've always like struggled with it. Like, what does it really mean to serve Hashem for Hashem? And in a very like clear, like direct path, if it's possible to elaborate or give some like practical examples. I'm just trying to exactly understand your question. Exactly what, what, what is directed at? So it's like, what's the struggle? Is, Put it that way. Let me ask there you. is this like selfishness to Judaism in the sense that we like always discuss that like Shabbos is so beautiful and like it's so nice for you have your family and like, um, Hanukkah is such a nice, beautiful holiday with lights and candles. And we do a lot of these things in order for it to be beautiful. Like Pesach, we want it to be beautiful for the children to ask, have a beautiful Esrag and a beautiful Lulav. And okay. there is this element of that. But at the same time, how do you like balance that with understanding that really everything that we do is really for Hashem and that God, just like the Hanukkah story was all about denouncing God. How do we focus in that direction? Okay. So that's a very, very good question. Uh, and let me pick up on that about like, you know, doing Hanukkah because it's beautiful, Pesach because it's amazing and lifts us up and it's inspiring and so on and so forth. So in Tanya, not only in Tanya, but all over Hasidus, we have this concept called Bittel, which is often misunderstood as a very harsh and sort of destructive force, but it's not. What I mean by that is total surrender to God, actually as an opportunity, right? Meaning we recognize that we are very limited and we recognize that we are our own intellect and our own emotional capacity and our own existence is a very finite one. And God gives us the opportunity to actually completely incorporate ourselves in an infinite being, right? So the analogy it gives in Hasidus, for example, is that a flame burns upwards because we are taught that the flame comes from the general foundation of fire and it's always burning upwards because it actually wants to depart almost, wants to go away and become incorporated in its original source because there, although it wouldn't be recognized as an individual entity, but it would actually be part of a much greater entity, right? So as soon as we learn that really the world doesn't exist as an independent existence, nor do we, but actually we're part of a much, much greater reality. Um, we're part of God's world, right? I mean, I'm saying that very quickly. Of course, that's that's the basis of a very, very large part of Tanya, Shari Chodoraimuna, the concept of Bitzel HaElamus and the concept that we don't, we're, we're, we're nothing on our own. We have no independent being, right? In other words, and because if we pursue an independent being, it's a very shaky and very, very, very flimsy being, actually. It's, it's a nothing, really. What are we at the end of the day? We're a speck in, in, in that. We're very limited. I mean, we think we're great, but we're not really that great, right? However, what, what we are given the opportunity through Torah Mitzvahs is to connect to God and to really reveal our connection to God and reveal our our existence, our true existence, which is really part of godliness. It's part of the infinite being. Now, in order to do that, two things need to happen. And I think the best way to explain this, the clearest way and simplest way in, in, in a short time is, is to explain the following way. We find in the Torah two, two types of mitzvahs. And in fact, this relates back to the Hanukkah story. We find that there are some mitzvahs that Hashem intentionally gave us that have no reason. right? And He said, why do we need to do it? We need to do it because just because God said so. And then He gave us some mitzvahs which He specifically revealed the reason to, and they're logical, and they're rational mitzvahs. And he wants us to learn them and understand them as much as we can and, and to really get the reason and to absorb it and to be excited about it and so on. So the obvious question is, which one does he want? Does he want us to be completely obedient or does he want us to understand everything? Because either we should know the reason for any mitzvahs or we should know the reason for every mitzvah, right? 
And the answer is as follows. Every mitzvah needs to be done both ways. Our basis in Yiddishkeit is to do it because Hashem wants us to do it. In other words, in order to connect to God, we have to give ourselves up to God. We cannot hold on to two things. We cannot say, I'm going to be myself, but I'm also going to be connected to God. It doesn't work like that. If you want to become, if you want to become absorbed in God's infinite reality, you have to leave yourself. Leaving yourself means a complete surrender. That's why the very beginning of the Jewish experience, which starts with Pesach, is the idea of eating matzah. Eating matzah means to completely remove the ego. It doesn't rise. And if it rises even one little tiny speck, that means you've mixed your own ego into it. Boom, it's gone. It's now chometz. You can't eat it, right? Because if you want to be connected to God, you have to say goodbye to yourself. However, the connection that God wanted, however, is that ultimately the whole of us should be connected to God. Now, when I say goodbye to my ego, I'm saying a complete, and that is the first step. First step is, I don't need to know the reason. I don't need to like it. I don't need to understand it. It doesn't have to talk to me. It doesn't have to be hard, easy, good, bad. It doesn't make a difference. God said Pesach, I do it. God said Hanukkah, I do it. Maybe someone doesn't like Hanukkah. doesn't like lighting candles. It doesn't matter. It's, it's not the point. It's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about what you feel. It's about going away from yourself, leaving yourself, and being connected to God and becoming what we call bottled to Hashem. The problem with that is when we say goodbye to yourself is that I've become connected to Hashem, but I've left myself behind. And God wanted the whole of us to be bottled to Him. He wanted the whole of us to be connected to Him. He wanted the whole of us to be completely God, God-centric, as you say, right? In order to do that then is that once we have created the mindset that I am nothing other than godliness, I am only there because God wants me to be there, and my whole focus is being connected to Him, then I have to slowly reintroduce, then every part of me has to become connected to him, which means my thinking, my understanding, my excitement, my passion, my emotion, my my experience, my everything has to be part of that experience. So only once we've started with the matzah, then we can reintroduce the chametz, right? Going back to that analogy, that's why we find that on Shavuos, there was a korban, there was a sacrifice brought in the base of Mikdash that had to be chametz. And of course, the obvious question is, well, make up your mind. Is chametz a good thing or a bad thing, right? The answer is chametz is a good thing if it comes after matzah, meaning if it comes back in the context, okay, so now God created me and you and the third person with a very unique set of skills and a unique way of understanding things and a unique way of, of feeling and my emotions, emotional structure is different, someone else's emotional structure, my talents are different, my skills are different. God says, I want all of that. But they have to be reintroduced and you have to serve God in your, so to speak, unique way, but in the context of your total surrender. Now, it's interesting that in the Allah Nisim that we say on Hanukkah, going back to Hanukkah, that's exactly what happened. What the Greeks were mostly worried about was this concept of chukim. They couldn't tolerate that surrender to Hashem. Chukei retzaynech, as we say in Allah Nisim. They opposed the chukim, this, this idea of surrendering to a God that you don't understand, you don't need to understand, you don't want to understand. Right? This goes back to when the Torah was given. We said, Naaseh v'nishma, we will be, we'll do whatever God wants us and then we'll understand. And we were praised for that. But take note, we weren't only praised for saying we're going to do what God wants. We were praised also for saying we're going to understand, right? Nishma, we are going to understand because we need to understand. But that comes after the nice. In other words, in other words, we need to understand, but because God wants it. I'll tell you a beautiful little story about my grandfather. My grandfather, his name was Abayshe Gerari. He was a great intellectual Hasidus expert, you could say. And he came to the Rebbe in the very early years, 1952, and the Rebbe, not long after the Rebbe had assumed the leadership. And he asked, I, I'm trying to remember the details exactly of the story, but he, he asked the Rebbe 
I think a bracha for believing or something for, for Amunah, right? And he said to the Rebbe, even though he was a big intellectual, he said to the Rebbe, we don't understand anyway. So, you know, like, 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 I just want to, I just want to believe, like, give me a bracha. And the Rebbe answered him something extremely deep. I think that, that's the crux of what, you, of what you asked before. The Rebbe said, I'll, I'll say it in Yiddish and I'll translate. The Rebbe said, Fashtein Dartman, which means you need to understand, but you mustn't need to understand. In other words, serving Hashem cannot be dependent on my understanding. Keeping Pesach cannot be dependent on the fact that I enjoy it and it's beautiful. And how about if it's not beautiful? Some people don't like Pesach. They find it very annoying. Right? <laughs> right? So I keep Pesach. I don't, need, I don't need it to be beautiful. I need it to be a mitzvah of Hashem. Mitzvah of Hashem, I've got to keep it. But Hashem wants it. He wants us to make it beautiful because He wants us to, He wants not just our hands to eat matzah, He wants our heart to eat matzah also and our brain to eat matzah, right? So, yes, beauty, understanding, rational, all important, only if we don't need it. What we need is surrender. We need to do what Hashem wants. Then Hashem really wants us to introduce all of that as well. That was so beautiful. I think so many people struggle with that because they think that they're individuals. But the truth is, every single person is constantly conforming. No one's have no one's a free thinking individual that has all their own opinions and own, all their own thoughts. Everyone's conforming in every single aspect of their, their lives. Like you think about fashion. One month chunky shoes are in, the next month skinny shoes are in. No one's a free-thinking individual. It's who do you want to align yourself to? Right, so we're always surrendering to something, right? <laughs> Everyone's surrendering. And I think everyone, people are like, wow, Judaism is so extreme. You have to have bitzel to Hashem. But why would you not want to be aligned with truth? Correct, correct. But I think, you know, I think, I think the reason maybe people struggle with it is because when people sometimes conform to all sorts of other things, but it's things that they feel comfortable with, those things that they think they feel comfortable with, or things that the things aligns with them, right? The beauty of Yiddishkeit is, and I say the beauty, it's an opportunity to actually um, align ourselves and, 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 and conform to something that's higher than ourselves, which is an opportunity. It's difficult because it, it takes work. It takes self-negation to a certain degree, but that's the opportunity. That's the greatness of Judaism. I think that's why the Maccabees were so heroic. Like there was lots of jugs, there was lots of oil. It wasn't like there was no oil. There wasn't an oil crisis. There wasn't the seal of the kind Gaza, and that's something that the Greeks couldn't understand. So the Rebbe explains that because the the war of the, of the Greeks was so subtle and so destructive, because it really went to the emuna and the kedusha of the Jews, right? And the kedusha actually became contaminated. So the only way to fight that was to find that one jug of the kohen gadol, because that's a deeper level of kedusha. That's the part of the kedusha that can never be contaminated. So it's we call the pintalayid, the yechidah shemenefesh. A part of us, because at the end of the day, deep down, we are all bottled, because there's a part of us, the Yechida, which is the fifth level of the Neshama, the deepest level of the Neshama, which is always one with Hashem. It's always surrendering to Hashem. It's just not conscious. Uh, our job is to bring it more to the forefront and to bring it to our, to our, to our actions and to our experience. But the uh, Hanukkah miracle was only possible because the only way to fight that distortion and that, and that, that war on, on, on spirituality was to dig deeper and to find the that part of us that is never damaged. Do you think we're tapping into that now? And if we are, we need to be. Oh, I mean now in this current situation? 
I think to a certain degree, yes. I think, you know, the, the, you see the Neshama coming out, you see people all of a sudden choosing to do mitzvahs and to say tilim and, and, and to come closer and to connect and to... And also, I mean, the unity comes from that. You know, when the Neshama... Because we know that why why are we actually intrinsically united? Because intrinsically we're not different. It's just our body. Exactly. Our body is different. Our observance is different. You know, what we do might be different, but... We're actually not different. We all have the same pintalayid, we all have the same neshama. And once you, once that comes out, that brings a greater connection to Hashem and a greater connection to each other, which is really synonymous, really. And um, that's what we need to do. But it's just not about only about now. It's just about, about generally about the generation that we live in, which is, which is you know, about about working to connect to it. It's working to reveal, like you say, some people are threatened by the concept of bittal, but because it's hard, it is hard work. Because we are also, when, the way Hashem, you know, same question you asked before, why is it like that? But Hashem designed us with an intrinsic connection to Him. He also designed us with an ego. He designed us with what we call a nefesh abam, it's an animal soul which is driven by ego. That's what it is. That's what we, it's driven by self-preservation and self-egocentricity. And uh, it's very hard to overcome that. But that's our, that's our job. Our job is to overcome that, to make it not about ourselves, but about Hashem. I think I've seen this more than ever before, like in the past few weeks, like so many people coming up to me, like family members that are not like affiliated or like friends that decided to like, they work in an office in like the city and they don't look Jewish and they don't sound Jewish. And like, I have a cousin that she's, none of her friends are Jewish, lives in South Africa. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I am different. Like there is something different here. There's something to it. It's not just, there's nothing rational about this. I think like the more irrational the hate is, it just emphasizes that there is something here that's different. There's a spark that's, I think the Hanukkah story is touching me so deeply this year because I actually feel like it can't be more similar to what we are currently experiencing now. It's like, don't be, this is not about Judaism. It's everything to do with Judaism. It's everything to do with acting Jewish, being Jewish. And the more Jewish we are, the less all this anti-Semitism can penetrate within us because that's not the focus. Correct, correct. And I think that's also why we have to be careful about our response. And our response has to be more Jewishness, to be more Jewish in, in everything, whether it's learning more, davening more, doing another mitzvah. They don't care if we look Hellenist. They don't care if we look like a modern American. They don't care if we look like an Australian. It doesn't matter. This has got to do with the spark of Judaism inside of us. And there were so many Jews that were Hellenists at the time. Am I correct? Correct, yes, there was. But, but you know, a lot of them came back and, and a lot of them, you know, that's the, that's the, that's the challenge to remove the Hellenization and to awaken that spark, that Jewish spark, that, that jug of oil that should come into the consciousness. So my final question for you is what is the overall message that you would like to share to the Jewish world today to give them comfort and strength? Because this is really what we need to hear. But I think, you know, we say in Hanukkah and I think it's, what I'm about to say is more relevant this year than many years, and that, you know, we make the bracha, we make the, um, the blessing on the Hanukkah candles, one of the, we make a couple of blessings, one of them is we say, God will um, perform miracle. He God perform miracles for our forefathers, in those days, in this time, which literally means this time of the year, in other words, we say, right? But we know the real translation, the deep translation is that means in our times, right? We are reliving, like you say, the Hanukkah story to a great to a great degree. And it's a tough story, but we need to have that faith and then a muna. Now, there are people that are struggling, are people that have fear, people that have anxiety, people that have and it's all normal, by the way. It's all normal. It's not people shouldn't think it's 
something wrong with you. And I've, I've dealt with it a lot in the last few weeks in Sydney, given a lot of shirim on the topic, you know, managing our emotions throughout this time and, 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 you know, going through it, our perspective and so on and so forth. Because it's all normal. But what isn't, you know, and in, generally, I mean, in, in Yiddishkeit, we, we know that when someone has a difficult response, emotional response, even though there are, you know, there are such things as toxic emotions and negative emotions, but the initial reaction, the initial response is nothing wrong. It just means you're normal. Unless you're some very pious person that never has these original thoughts. But we all do. We all get angry. We all get jealous. We all get fearful. We all get anxious. But it's about what we do with it, right? And so it is normal. And, and if you have a bit of ups and downs, that's fine. But what we need to do, we need to really um, work on is two things. We need to work on responding the Jewish way, right? Like one of the things, I, you know, I, I, I mean, it's obvious to everyone, but just to highlight it is, you know, you see even in the rallies that have taken place, which is very beautiful, you see that Jews, because someone asked me, you know, I'm feeling angry, because that's one of the emotions. I said, well, if you're feeling angry, that's normal, but we can't walk around with anger, because we are people of light. We are people of, of, of love, we are people of light, we are people of positive. So we have to channel that. If we're feeling anxious, we're feeling angry, we're feeling hateful, we're feeling insecure, we have to channel that. And the channeling that is to be, add more light, to work on our amunah and to work on, to work through the process that our existence is supernatural and that God will help us and we will pull through. And that if I'm feeling certain emotions, is to channel those emotions into doing what we do best. Be kinder to other people, do another mitzvah, connect more to God, bring more God into your life, bring more light into your home. You know, there are those that can that can be involved in advocacy. There are those that are on the front lines, our brothers and sisters in Israel fighting the war. And we are not there and we're not doing that, nor we can, nor can we, but we, well, we can contribute. And the way we contribute is by adding the spiritual light, by the clarity, like the Hanukkah, bringing clarity into darkness, bringing, bringing light into where it seems really dark and just each person in their own way, really doing things tangibly, whether that's a, a more charity, helping other people, doing another mitzvah, learning more Torah, saying more tilim, and just channeling those emotions in a passionate way to do what we do, which is things connected with life, life and light. And uh, we're going to see very soon, as Rav Hashem, we're going to see very soon the uh, full-blown miracle and hopefully the full-blown salvation. The coming of Mashiach, we're going to have the menorah back and we'll see it in its full glory. Amazing. Thank you so much. Lots of light. I'm Israel Fai. Exactly right. <laughs>